All right, episode number two coming at you with the whitetail experience. Clearly, we're making moves, or maybe it's the fact I'm home from work and able to work more on the brand with all the coronavirus stuff going on. Anyways, I think today's oh, topic or conversation is going to be something uh, the whitetail experience followers are really going to take away. And and I, I, I'm just going to touch on kind of my learning points, uh, especially over the last two seasons. Um, I've been able to be in the in the woods a lot, hunt a few different states, um, chase wood, bucks in both the big woods and farm country. And uh, I, I just took some notes here um, as far as my takeaways, and I, I think that might make for a decent podcast. Um, kind of kicking things off, uh, last season uh, I was you know, heavily involved with XOP and doing some of those projects, so I was able to pick the brain of probably one of the best uh, whitetail hunters out there, and that's Cody DeQuisto. Um, Cody's probably killed more Pope and Young bucks than any other guy out there under the age of 30. Um, I think that's kind of a cool statistics. I'm not hundred percent if that's fact, but, uh, I've talked about that with a few guys, uh, like Kurt and Clint, uh, Casper. And, and we've kind of thought that's, that's a pretty cool little stat. Anyways, um, something that I kind of found interesting, uh, in talking with him is, you know, I'd always be asking, well, what are your plans for season? What do you, what do you think you're going to be? Uh, where do you think you're going to be hunting? What bucks are you going to be looking at? And, um, he, he always would respond he didn't know. And I thought that was really odd. I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, I, I here I am kind of mapping out my season and thinking about where I want to be and uh, what pieces I want to hunt. And uh, he's kind of giving me, I'm, I'm going to wait and see. And, and a lot of that, I think, is based on the fact um, he relies so heavily on in-season scouting. And at that point, I was relying um, more on my my off season and what I had learned in the months of, of January to March, and um, kind of moving on from that is was we did actually do a little bit of scouting. Um, I ended up hunting Wisconsin that year, and something that I learned from Wisconsin that I thought was interesting. Obviously, I'm out of state for the first time as far as a whitetail hunt, and uh, actually, I take that back. I went to Montana the year before and did a a little bit of whitetail mule deer slash elk hunting. Um, but anyways, was the amount of squirrel pressure in Wisconsin. Um, give me a second. I'm going to take a drink of coffee. And with, you know, all the research I had done, I was looking at lower population densities and looking at caliber of deer and then pieces of ground. And I never really thought to factor in hunting culture or hunting pressure, uh, at least with Wisconsin. Uh, PA, Michigan, I definitely would have considered those, but I don't see myself really traveling to Michigan ever. Um, PA, maybe. um, But definitely, you know, I I didn't think about hunting culture in Wisconsin. I think that's that's underestimated. Even though there's less people there, there's probably a, a higher percentage of the general public that does hunt. Um, just because it's such a big part of, of, of Wisconsin. Um, kind of moving on from that was, um, oh, let's see here. I picked up from Cody really last year was hunting, hunting low, hunting two sticks high, hunting one stick high. And, and we're talking archery for the last couple years, ever since I had like stand stick equipment, I've, I've gun hunted low and, uh, 
a big reason for that is I was like, man, I can see far, but I can get set up quick. I don't have to bring a lot of gear. I'm, I'm lighter weight than bringing, say, four sticks. And um, Cody was real big on on some of these little tucked in places that he was he was mobile hunting with two sticks. And here I am spending time with him. Like I'm not gonna try that as part of my system. And uh, you know, he told me he does have a, a few uh, screwing type steps in his bag. And so I, I bought some of those Cranford rope steps which I'm not a huge fan on. I got a review on YouTube um, of those. And I just, I could, don't get me wrong, they worked. They were cool. I think if you were in a state that doesn't allow or you're super concerned about the trees not using screwing steps, um, that's an option. But they're not as secure as, say, a wild edge. Um, and I never really got them as tight as I'd like to. And Dave, in fact, tested them in the yard and said, I don't love these. Um, especially once you get up there in height. But that season, I spent a majority of my time running two XOP sticks and four of these Cranfords, and I could get, oh, about 20 foot with a big aider on the bottom. Um, I definitely don't think I was getting anywhere close to that 25-foot mark, but uh, uh, getting up there 19 and a half, 20 foot pretty easily. Um, anyways, I, I was kind of shocked when I would go to hunt low, at least with archery equipment, at the deer I was seeing and what I was able to kind of get away with. And looking at the last two seasons, some of my best hunts were literally like 12 foot off the ground, 10 foot off the ground. Um, and in fact, I killed my buck last year, two sticks and two Cranfords high. I couldn't have been more than 15 foot, probably more in that 12 to 13 range. And uh, it just opened my eyes because that was, that was the type of trees I could be in. I had plenty of cover. That deer never saw me. And then if I look at my second best hunt of 2019, I had three bucks inside at 25 yards. I was one stick high. All bucks could have been shot. Um, true, they would have been like looking up at me, you know, quarter two, like, hey, what is this dude doing here? What is that in that tree? I also had two coyotes under 25 yards, um, two deer under six yards from that tree. And it was like they looked up and figured out that I was there, or that something wasn't right, but like it was one of those that, that I could have released arrow had that been a shooter. And I do set my arrow set up to, to kind of make that shot possible, just heavy uh, fixed blade, because I know that's kind of a, a situation I put myself in when hunting low. Um, so yeah, let's kind of move on from that. Um, also in 2018, I, uh, I hunted Indiana with Dave and Alonzo came as a, as a cameraman and, and kind of, oh, assistant, I guess. And we started um, figuring out that because we'd never put boots to the ground there, that we were almost better um, still hunting uh, just because we could scout and find ambush points. And <laughs> truth be told, we could have waxed a few few deer, that's for sure, from the ground. Um, and, and so that's kind of a tactic. If I go somewhere new and don't really have a good beat on where I want to be in the mornings uh, or the first time I can hunt, um, I definitely think I'm going to stay on the ground at least that, that first couple uh, attempts in the woods. I guess maybe if it was an evening hunt, big timber, and I had some sort of um, intel on the area, I could scout my way in and, and assess and do a hang and hunt that way. But morning Sid, I think I would have stayed on the ground. I remember I hung a tree stand that first morning and we were never in the ball game looking back. It's just, 
we were never gonna make it happen. Now I have thrown darts in my hunting career in the big woods and and had bucks in shooting distance, um, had deer in shooting distance, but it's not it's not something that that I'm uh, that is a go to. I I think if I could do it again, I'd just stay on the ground, and I actually adapted that into my um, my regiment later that year. I started hunting a different piece of Indiana. Um, this was more big timber and let's see here, November 3rd, I had an encounter with a 110 inch buck on the ground, 22 yards. He stepped through, had no idea. I could have shot another doe or two while I was on that, on the ground game. Um, and then I returned to Indiana a week later and actually hit a, uh, a solid buck, probably 130-ish level. Um, and I had a pretty good, um, it was a pretty crazy sequence. I had a doe that must have been hot, and I could hear grunting and, and kind of some chasing going on around me. I, I couldn't ever physically see, you know, see them. And I turn around and hear this doe scampers across at about 26 yards behind her, like 105-inch, 100-inch buck. And then behind them, this 130 like bounds in stops and is like looking at me but looking at this doe like he knows something ain't right but he doesn't want to leave that doe and i was able to get back draw and, and let an arrow go and um that deer lost a lot of blood i could not but that was the best blood trail i've been on in five years and i can't believe i didn't find him i jumped him twice and we we looked the next day i got an eye infection because i took a thorn in the eye and uh actually had to pull out even late in the day, I drove back to the piece before driving to, to Ohio and, and looked for buzzards in that area and, and no luck. Um, so that was, you know, a learning experience, staying on the ground if, if you don't have preset pins or a good idea, especially for morning hunts when you can't really make the best call on like a scout your way in type mission. Um, this year, I, uh, I, I, I feel like I finally got my trail camera. Oh, I think in years past, I've just put them off or kind of used them um, as a half a tool or half to, to half of their capability. But now um, I've got a few better cameras and uh, I was kind of surprised at how many bucks I was picking up on certain pieces um, that I wasn't seeing from the road or scouting like glassing type missions that, um, in the summer. But my trail cameras re revealed a lot of what I call like 110 to 115 inch eight points it seemed to be I, I i didn't get a lot of big deer on trail cam um and this is running them primarily on th th two to three pieces um but it it, it it was something that now uh i'm gonna like make more a part of what i do because i can also scout when i'm going to pull those and being in the area you see stuff I, a lot of times if i was gonna pull cam shift cams do whatever i would try and go at um Oh, at daybreak, so I could kind of get some glassing in that first 40 minutes or so. And, and we did, I mean, we'd see deer that way um, and kind of get a beat on what's going on. I feel like in one of my pieces of public, I got more information from two glassing missions than I did running trail cameras all summer. Um, let's see here. What else do I have here on my notes? Oh, it, kind of along the lines of... Uh, summer scouting and what i learned this year um i actually purchased a uh, cheaper camcord like a, um, a 
Panasonic or even one of those Canon Vixias I think could work for this where you don't got to invest a lot of money. And uh, it was nice to take on those those summer scouting missions because I could I could get even just a one to two second video clip of a buck. And you know how it is when you're out there. Um, you just get all excited and you're like, oh, I seen a, let's say you throw out the term, a good one. And if you have the video footage, I'm able to send that to Dave and be like, what do you think? Because a lot of times I get, I get all excited when I first see this deer and then I kind of start second guessing myself like, ah, maybe he was just a, a solid two and a half year old. Another sip of coffee here. Um, but I could literally go home, throw that thing in the uh, computer, export it. We're talking two minutes of my time. Send that to Dave. Um, if I wanted to brighten it, I could do that as well in, in the video editing software or slow stuff down. And uh, it was just cool. Um, it was cool to get, to get some extra deer footage um, and verify like the, the caliber of buck. But yeah, a cheap camcord. I didn't think I would use it as much as I did. Um, obviously, if you look at the whitetail experience on YouTube and the hunts we produce, it's a oh, it's a little better product. I, I try at least me personally. Um, I shoot a lot of my stuff on, on DSLR, you know, setups or, or uh, mirrorless setups. Um, so yeah, I, I was I was I was pleasantly surprised in that uh, little camcord just going with me on the summer scouting missions. Um, oh, another quick note on the cheaper camera. What that also gave me was a camera to film my hunts with. Obviously, during like rainy, nastier, snowier conditions and it, it, it's a it's a little easier to pack it, it's a less pain in the ass than the dslr is and um you know if it, it like yeah i bring a dry bag in my backpack um but if it totally hits the fan out there like and, and that camera was ruined i'm only out a couple hundred dollars versus my full-blown sony you know you're looking at, at a couple grand on on amazon for um Something. Let's see here. I've got a couple more bullet points here before we wrap things up. Uh, let's talk big woods. And I remember this year I was after a big woods buck I had sheds off of, and I walked through an area, and and I kind of oh, in the past couple of years it was always about sit sit an area once moves. You know the the that you can't argue with the power of 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 the drone strike of the first time sit. It, it's it's proven itself. It's it's what every big deer hunter knows, and um, something that that I kind of did a little more. I feel like in 2019 was maybe not necessarily the same tree, um, although I have the confidence now to to sit a same tree. If it if it's hot, it's hot. I, I've listened to a podcast recently with uh, Greg Litzinger and another guy out of the East Coast. I'm pretty sure it was Bo's podcast. East eats the East meets west and they killed three bucks in two to three days out of the same tree it was just hot and um anyways i, I walked through this area i was chasing these deer this buck in particular i seen some good sign and i kind of was like oh god i've just polluted it like you know they they talk about um walking like pretending like it's a it's a white carpet and you're walking with muddy boots and something i listened to on jeff sturgis he uh he mentioned that these big woods deer they're not they're not so much in that day-to-day -day routine um these deer aren't just you know bed to food food to bed 
Um, I feel like a lot of deer hunting information, um, even uh, you're looking as soon as the last couple years, um, is all centered around farm country deer because I think uh, that relates to a lot of people. And, and don't get me wrong, I probably hunt about 30 to 40% farm country. I, I just do have a draw to the big woods. I don't know why. But um, Jeff Sturgis talks about these deer here every day. You know, their their home ranges, their their nomadic lifestyle. Uh, these deer are moving more, so you know you can you can repeat stuff. Or scouting is is not as, as much a, an issue versus farm country. If you, you, I don't know, we've seen it where you lay boots down, that deer may never come through there in daylight again um, in a higher pressure area or. Um, anything of that nature, but like these big woods deer, if, if they don't pass through and, and you almost can get away with some a little bit more. Now there's less deer too, so that may help as well. So maybe, you know, the farm country deer that pick up on your ground scent, you know, it's, it's, there's more of them. They're there every day. It, you know, you polluted an area a little more. Um, at least this is my thoughts. Obviously, uh, I'm in that evolution stage as a deer hunter. I'm not going to claim to be an expert or a guy that's laid down a bunch of slammers. Um, just had a, a decent amount of success over the past five years um, and even a little bit before that. But, you know, I'm in that evolution stage, I feel. I talk to these whitetail addiction guys <laughs> and trust me, I just I just shut up and listen because they're what I want to be um, in the next few years, if you will. Um, something else I picked up here in the big woods this year that was an interesting learning point was... Uh, Wind thermals, um, I've always hunted, you know, winds and thermals and, and let that be a huge factor, but started really keen that this piece in particular I was hunting, hunted really well on what I call like, oh, sub eight mile an hour winds. And I really wanted it to be below five because the thermals um, were, were almost the dominant factor on those days. And at least they were a little more consistent. It wasn't like... Um, you know, when that wind would get up uh, above eight miles an hour, dude, it would bounce around, it would swirl more. And so I would hunt other pieces, um, even during the rut. I wanted to get in there. I wanted to, I knew there was a couple good bucks in there. But dude, if it was above eight miles an hour, um, and north winds didn't favor this piece as much either, uh, I would stay out and, and I'd go hunt other places. I'd go hunt a, a totally different piece most of the time. Um, so that was something that I definitely, I definitely learned. And then finally, um, at least for myself, uh, I, I, uh, I drug that deer out of a, a holler this year and you can see that film on our YouTube and I, I show a few of the clips, but that was, ooh, I was done hunting by 1130. I don't think I got home until seven, six. I mean, it was a three or four hour affair dragging that deer out. And uh, I will not do that again solo. If you look at me, I'm a pretty strong guy. I work out a good amount, but I am, I struggle to move those, those, those deer with a dead weight, you know, we'll just call it um, 150 to 210, 220, you know, after gutted. But uh, I, I'll start to pack them, them guys out, I think, at this point. Um, I know here in Ohio, I think you have to go ahead and call it in and do your check station stuff before you can officially pack out. Uh, but I kind of plan to break, break a, a deer into quarters and maybe even if it was a big doe and, um, in a steep Canyon, I would consider packing out. Um, I've got the back, I've got, I picked up a used Kuyu bag for like a hundred 
$25 with a frame. I mean, that's a bag you can find um, on the used QU websites, used hunting websites for nothing. And it's a, it's a pretty good bag. I just think a lot of those Western guys buy it, go for their one, one elk hunt or whatever, and then they sell it. But uh, between that and the, the frame feature on the custom gear, I, I plan to pack out because I'm built to go twice. <laughs> I'm not built to essentially pull 200 pounds. Um, so so that, that's a few of my like all learning points, sticking points from the last uh, two seasons in particular. Um, wanted to thank everybody for listening to episode two here on the Whitetail Experience podcast. And uh, be sure to, you know, hit that subscribe button. Check us out on YouTube, Instagram as well. I got to think we're, you know, a lot of our oh, current listeners are going to come from those other platforms. That's where we've been been around for quite some time. And, uh, you know, as far as getting out there, good luck. If you're still shed hunting and scouting, uh, Team Harder and Bucks, we're out.